let's work it out for the planet. This is our new podcast show with Chandru Wadwani. We're discussing greenwashing and the challenges with sustainable fashion and ethics. Brands are making sustainability claims and releasing ethical lines. But is the dial really moving? And we have a new show today with Chandru Wadhwani, and he is our special guest speaker. Um, the show is called Let's Work It Out for the Planet. It's going to be a regular show we're going to do once a month with Chandru. And um, I'm going to interview Chandru on a few topics related to sustainable fashion and the challenges that the industry is facing, the fashion industry is facing. And then after I've spoken to Chandru, I'm going to invite you guys up to participate. So you can just raise your hand um, to participate in this conversation. But we're going to have a bit of a dialogue, maybe 10, 15 minutes before we um, invite people up to speak. So this conversation is basically about working out and finding solutions to help save our planet and our environment um, from the damaging effects of the fashion industry. And Chandru is an expert, a sustainability expert. He's got so many great insights. So we've decided to do this podcast show with Chandru. So the insight, the inspiration for today's talk is it comes from fortune.com, an article that I read, um, the newest challenges for sustainable apparel industry. And the article goes on to say that fashion, more or less to summarise that fashion brands um, are making sustainability claims and releasing ethical lines. But is the dial really moving? So that's really the conversation that we're having today. So Chandru, um, do you want me to dive into the questions or do you want to introduce yourself and say, um, I know you've read the article. Um, say a little bit about what you think about the article, the question, is the dial really moving? And then we'll move on. I'll hand it over to you. Thanks, Bukola. Uh, yeah, let me keep it brief. I'd love for us to get through the questions and open it up uh, for everyone in the lounge to come up and join us. Uh, the more, the merrier. Uh, so my background is actually recycling of uh, PET bottles. Uh, PET, otherwise known also as polyester, a big chunk of it becomes fiber, some of which which goes into garments. And that's another discussion point uh, where, funny, I was uh, listening in a room just early on Clubhouse with Samuel, the role of polyester. Uh, but the reality is, like many industries, uh, there's very poor accountability of brand owners in terms of their carbon footprint to make their products, distribute their products. Uh, over and above the environmental footprint, we all know about the social footprint and the abuses that go on globally, uh, not just in the impoverished parts uh, of the world. So um, I think there's a growing cry now for more accountability, more traceability, and ultimately more end-of-life solutions, because we can't just keep talking about uh, the society we live in where it's linear. You know, we make, take, and then just uh, dispose um so I think a lot of work to do, but some positive signs. Amazing. So um, it's good that you've given like a bit of an overview for some of our listeners that are, are new to the podcast. Um, we're always talking about having conversations about sustainable fashion and speaking with loads of amazing experts um, 
to shed light on this topic. So I'm going to just bring it back to basics a little bit. Like I, I, I like to do on Green Room because the audience isn't always fashion ex- experts. And I just like to acknowledge the listeners that are listening on the on Spotify and other platforms might not be fashion experts as well. So my first question is kind of basic, but just to build on the conversation and the, the foundations that you just laid. Um, apparently the fashion industry at large generates 5% of global emissions, making it the second or first, third polluting industry. So it's it's debatable if it's the second or third polluting industry, but it's one of the biggest polluting industries. So this results in many ambitious promises when it comes to sustainability. So is it true that most sustainability claims related to fashion products are actually greenwashing? So that's the first question. Uh, yeah, uh, well, funny enough, the studies that have been conducted in that space is now proving uh, that more than 50%, 60% um, of greenwash of uh, sustainability claims in the fashion industry have been exposed as being greenwashing to the extent that in the case of the UK government, they're now looking at introducing laws that will penalize companies that are found to be blatantly greenwashing. Now, in my experience, uh, you only transcend to the level of laws coming in place when abuse has reached a systemic level and governments have recognized that we're doing more harm than good um, and the you know customers uh, deserve to be treated better. And funny enough, there are already regulations worldwide on advertising laws sadly very poorly administered and policed um, and now a growing call globally uh, or as awareness of climate change becomes more prominent in every household that government needs to intervene in the space of greenwashing as well not just for fashion and textiles but sadly for pretty much all consumer goods that are out there yeah so for, for the sake of our listeners what exactly is greenwashing and how can consumers identify the difference between a brand that is greenwashing and a brand that's making genuine efforts towards sustainability? So if you could just break that down. I know we've had a conversation, we've had a few conversations about greenwashing, but I think this is a really important issue to kind of consumers to understand that this actually takes place and how to um, navigate around that. Yeah, happily. So greenwashing obviously has... Uh, evolved from the term whitewashing, which is where you add a shiny white veneer to make everything look clean and spanky, where underneath the layer of paint, it's awfully dirty. Uh, Greenwashing implies uh, the same uh, nuance, but to environmental issues. So where you're making claims of sustainability that don't stack up. Um, How you look out for it is when usually claims are made in the absence of any scientific data to back it up, number one. Number two, it's sadly uh, the same perpetrators that uh, do it over and over again. Um, And that then lends to uh, warning signs that, you know, if if they've done it before, are they likely to do again? So reputational issues uh, are a trigger as well, uh, especially when it's been proven that companies have been exposed and have changed nothing. Uh, and continue uh, with their same uh, uh, tags of advertising or promotion 
Um, so that's another sign as well. And then it's evolved. We now have things like pilot washing. Uh, this is where a corporate might set up, you know, something so snazzy and sexy uh, that gets the whole world talking about it. Uh, while in the meantime, behind the curtain, 99% of the business is business as usual. So a case in point would have been something like, uh, you know, the Adidas sneakers made from harvested fishing nets uh, from the ocean. Uh, what they never told us is, well, how many sneakers were actually made uh, and what was that as a percentage of Adidas's total sneaker production globally? And there's good reason they didn't tell us that, because if we saw the numbers, that would have also been a glaring sign. But it's very effective in getting us to divert attention from the greenwashing that's underlying a lot of those pilot projects. Yeah, and I think that's what the the Fortune.com article was alluding to, was there's a lot of claims being made, but is the dial really moving? So just bringing that back, it's not a question of when fashion brands will act, but how they will act in addressing their role of damaging the environment um, and addressing ethical issues. What challenges are brands facing when it comes to being truly sustainable? Because obviously the greenwashing for a reason. So just a bit of insight into what, what challenges are brands facing to becoming truly sustainable because it's not it's not it's not will they act they have to and it's how so just if you could shed a bit of light on that so the biggest challenge is cost um the absolute truth about being sustainable and environmentally friendly is that you took responsibility for your product at end of life but that means then the brand owner is taking a cost that traditionally has been borne by the state, which funnily enough is passed on to us as householders or, or citizens of, of a land. So the irony of some of the pushback that sustainable options are more expensive than conventional options betrays the reality that we're actually bearing, bearing indirect costs in our everyday life, which actually make the circular option. But corporates aren't driven uh, by doing the cleanup of their products at end of life. Uh, life is just a lot easier if you make it, uh, make it, you know, what is it? Stack it high, sell it cheap, um, and just keep coining the profit to the bottom line. Uh, so fundamentally, the challenge is cost. Okay, so is that, just to get a bit more clarity on that, is that due to like other products being subsidized and then sustainable products not being subsidized? and then that is affecting the cost as well? Uh, sometimes, yes. But the main thing is, and the main pushback you'll see from corporates, especially in the fashion field, is there isn't enough uh, infrastructure, uh, either in terms of collecting garments at end of life and then further downstream from that is recycling garments at end of life. Um, the reality now is with the push to make them responsible, they're going to have to carry that cost. But, you know, they are fighting what they think is the good fight uh, to not do it, and that should be borne by the state. But I think the reality is if it's business as usual, you never then change the buildup of solid waste in our landfills and in our oceans. Uh, so that's the main pushback. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah, no, I understand that. So what steps can brands take to avoid greenwashing? Like, for example, sustainable brands have that challenge, but brands that want to move into sustainability, like maybe some of the bigger brands that are making these claims. What so they not do just to avoid yeah. So not just in fashion and you know, it's now any consumer good. It's any yeah. claim you want to make around sustainability or environmentalism has to be backed up with data. So to simplify it, you've got to go and do a life cycle analysis that puts forward the data. Uh, a lot of the time, those studies actually look for are the claims, you know, can you back up the claims in the territory in which you're selling the products? And for multinationals, it, it means doing multiple LCAs because a fabric or a garment might be recyclable in Sweden, but all of a sudden it's not in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So so how can we ensure that brands are addressing their role in, in damaging the environment? Because obviously there needs to be some kind of penalties attached to not doing the right thing, I would say. So in my experience of 20 years trying to convince brand owners to do the right thing, the only time I've ever seen a move to action and the talking stops is something around mandatory extender producer responsibility. This is where governments make it law that if you want to sell your product in their territory, you are then obliged to have an end-of-life solution for your product, failing which you run the risk of either a financial penalty or possibly, as is the case in South Africa, criminal penalty. So you spend time uh, in jail or you're not allowed to sell your products in that territory. So the big push really for everyone who's really wanting to see action in this space. Um, and it's a bit of a, you know, you're, we're kind of uncaging the tiger here because asking governments getting to get more involved in our lives has its own challenges. But in my experience, if we don't push for more of it, uh, the reality is nothing really ever changes and we just keep on. Yeah. And that moves me on to my next question. And this is where... Um, I've got two more questions for Chandru, and then you guys that are listening, definitely raise your hand and come and contribute to these um, final few questions. And anything that I've asked um, previously that you want to make a comment on, you can definitely share about that. But um, in response to this week's news on the IPCC report, so that's the, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that released the report this week. It's clear that we're now knee deep in the climate crisis. So what what are the radical so you, you mentioned extended producer responsibility i really like that concept and it's something that i'm going to be exploring in the future as you know um to kind of help brands with that aspect of the business um what are the what other radical actions can we take as business owners and consumers to help curb the negative impacts that we're having on the environment so you guys in the audience, if you th- you think if you can think of any radical actions that we can take, definitely come up and share. But Chandra, I'd love to hear from you. I know extended producer responsibility is something that you're really championing. Is there any other radical actions as business owners and consumers that business owners and consumers can take? So yeah, I mean, bad choice of words here, Bukola, but boy, have the airwaves been lighting up around this report that came out yesterday. 
because yeah. it just validated what we've all been told for a number of years now. Uh, but if you study how the process works, um, it's really scientists who volunteer their time. So there's no financial gain for these guys who actually review science that's out there already. Uh, so they're not you know, doing new science. They're reviewing the papers that are out there and reflecting to us what actually is happening. And the reality is, if it's business as usual, they're also mapping out for us what the ramifications are. So things like two degrees, three degrees growth in temperature means certain parts of Western America, Canada, become uninhabitable by 2050. Spain, um, Spain turns into a desert. I mean, that was a mind blower for me. Uh, yeah. Things like clean air to breathe and drinking water uh, that we take for granted just start diminishing. Uh, all this, our global population is increasing. So what it's going to do is it's going to drive policy change more and more. And what it means is if you want to be relevant as a company, then you need to be out there mapping your carbon footprint of your product. Because as the French government did three weeks ago, uh, there's legislation coming out where you're going to have to put on a carbon label on your product along with the standard label which tells us how much it costs and what it's made from and how do you wash it and all of those things. So that's going to be the business of the future. And if you're not ready yeah. for that, it means you're just not going to get shelf space to sell your products. And the other thing to be mindful of is obviously Generation Z, which in the next five to ten years will be the largest purchasing block in the world, uh, are actually pushing a lot of this change anyway, regardless of government intervention. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think that's that report for me. It was kind of like not not unexpected, but definitely very welcomed. I feel like we've been banging this sustainability drum for a long time, and I think the report is very eye-opening for people that are kind of um, critics or not really sure if this is the truth of what is taking place. So I'm really happy that this this report has come out and it's really sad like the projections that have been made but I think we do we do need as a world that wake up call to this situation and um I do have a question um that is kind of off topic to this so what I want to do is obviously offer an opportunity for those in the audience that want to talk about this topic to come up and then I'll I'll go back to my final two questions to progress the conversation. So does anyone want to come up and, and share their thoughts on what, what me and Chandra have been speaking about? Okay, that's fine. If no one wants to come up at the moment, that's fine. So um, in regards to everything that is going on in the world, what changes should we expect to see in the coming years and how long do you think it will take to clean up the fashion industry? Wow, that's a deep question. You see, for me, the you know, as much as we talk about things like polyesters and sustainable fabrics, uh, fast fashion, the biggest challenge garments have 
is irregardless of what it's made from, uh, garments by their nature are very difficult to deconstruct for recycling. So where the focus and attention needs to be, and that in itself will mean we'll have a quicker solution as opposed to a longer solution, is how do we design garments to be you know, dismantable at end of life so that we can do something with it, either recycle it or harvest it for its energy. So for those of you who are tracking it, I think the Ellen MacArthur Foundation finally came out a week or two ago with the ideal design for jeans. Uh, I think, see, they've used stuff like dissolvable stitching. Um, so for me, it's, it's when we start having that discussion. You know, uh, conventional design of garments is all around aesthetics and looks uh, and price points, but no one's really talking about how do you design it so that, you know, we can recycle it at end of life. So for me, that will be the, you know, nirvana moment where finally uh, people come up with solutions uh, that would give me hope that there's a quicker resolution rather than a longer resolution. Otherwise, we'll be debating it till the cows come home. That's really interesting. So I think that has a basis in, in education and technology, really, to solve that problem. Um, Ascania, welcome up. Do you have anything to contribute? Or obviously, you've got something to contribute. I'd love to hear what you have to say about this conversation. It can be off the back of what Chandru just said or anything that we've been discussing so far. Yes, hello there. Thank you. And hello, Chandru. I appreciated your the clarity and integrity of your analysis. So I'm, I'm very happy to, to to be here in the audience. And uh, I just wanted to add a very, very quick thing. I do agree with you. Yes, we, we have to intervene in introducing a sort of a carbon assessment to every sort of every leg of the, uh, every chain of the supply chain uh, and uh, and keep an eye on the responsibility of companies to, to deal with the end of life of their product. I definitely agree out of it. The solution, I would not focus only on the carbon footprint. I understand that we should move step by step, but you know, as much as myself, we've been dealing for, I mean, my professional life in sustainability is 20 years old. So more or less, we've got the same experience, uh, even though we, we might have, we may have been doing different stuff, but we both know that the urgency uh, claims for radical changes. And even Bukola was asking what radical thing should company do. I believe that the governance uh, that should be adopted should be more radical. So we should introduce an LCA and a uh, LCA evaluation more than just the carbon footprint. And especially for fashion, because we're talking about the use of uh, acrylics and, and synthetic fibers and the effect that it has on the environment, which you know goes much beyond the simple carbon analysis. That's a really good point. Um, Asanio, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Good to see you again. Um, part of that French legislation that was passed three weeks ago on what they call eco-labeling, and it's for pretty much all consumer goods, including garments, is going to be based on a metric of LCA as laid down by the French government. Because the other problem is, well, which LCA, you know, which methodology of LCA is the correct one? And what you don't want is obviously 10 different methodologies because that's just going to confuse the consumer even more. So have a look at that legislation. I think it's really an encouraging development to force so brand you, owners. Can you break that down a little bit more for the, the listeners that might not know? 
So, you know, when you're doing a life cycle analysis, it forces you to calculate all bunch of metrics and variables from, you know, where was your raw material sourced? What was the energy or transport footprint to get it to production sites? What was the energy footprint to make it? What was the wastage generated? Um, what was then the uh, transport element to get it to distribution center, the packaging? Uh, then at retail level, finally end of life, if it doesn't get recycled, it adds then to the carbon equation. But the problem they were finding is depending on which brand owner it was, they could use an LCA methodology almost that almost gave them an advantage on tweaking the figures. So what yeah. they've done is along with the legislation, they're setting the rules on how to calculate the LCA. So for a consumer now, and I'll just give a rough example, if you want to buy a cotton T-shirt versus a polyester T-shirt, it's going to give you, along with the price, and let's presume uh, the polyester one is cheaper, uh, it might then be, well, you know what, the carbon footprint is less on the cotton one. But it'll also give you the options of, well, this cotton T-shirt was sourced from China versus this cotton T-shirt that was made in France. So even though it's cheaper from there, the carbon footprint is lower from here. And then at least consumers have data available as they're purchasing to then make informed decisions. And it's one rule for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. So, um, Ascanio, do you have any other points on, on the, the greenwashing factor? Because I know you mentioned that that's a topic that you like um, to dig into and um, any points on how brands can avoid greenwashing or your take on that because I think that's a really important factor and and what you're saying um, about the life cycle analysis and things like that I feel that transparency is really important to avoiding greenwashing in terms of when brands when consumers are looking into what brands are doing and obviously helping them trace that carbon footprint as well is really important. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I agree with Chandru. Uh, actually, if I can add very quickly, uh, the carbon footprint, the problem that it has, it, it doesn't account for the end of life. Uh, the carbon footprint that you provide for a product accounts for what has happened from the sourcing till the ends of the consumer, till then, and it ends into the hands of the consumer. I'm sorry, my Italian pronunciation. Um, so the, the the problem is the, the LCA solves that, and I do agree with Chandra uh, Chandra that uh, we that the problem is not only within the same nation adopting different standards, but even between different nations. So in in the eyes of uh, uh, of a potential scenario, and I actually, actually I, I think ideal scenario where we're going to adopt an LCA standard across the world, it has to be a single standard. And the problem is that there's no single standard that applies to every industry. There's no single standard that apply to, to applies to, to many different situations. And that's the problem when you actually conduct an LCA. And that is why I suggest to the people in the audience, whenever they get interested into the LCA, which is a very deep analysis on the total impact, as Chandra was saying, is that the assumptions very likely are different. The methodologies used are different. And so in order to have 
to make a sort of to get an opinion about something that has to be analyzed through the, the LCA, you have to take into account more than one report, uh, account the sourcing, go in depth, in technical depth to, uh, to see the methodology they use, the assumptions. So it's a very complicated topic and it's very difficult to make it easy and applicable worldwide in a, in a standardized way so that from the small to the big company, they can adopt it. So it's a titanic challenge, but unless we... We start undertaking it. It's you know nothing is going to change, so we, we must do something about it. But regarding the greenwashing, yes, LCA can help. Uh, but as Chandra said, uh, and uh, that's the experience that I had so far, even working with Greenpeace and WWF, is that greenwashing is every time around the corner. So you you write down the the policy for waste management, and they find a way to. Uh, for example, to 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 uh, how do you say to toss responsibility to another company so that there's no direct responsibility, so it doesn't uh, get into the documentation that you have to provide to sometimes. So the the choice of standards the company can adopt in order to certify themselves it's very important, and it it is not to be just based on marketing. So the world is full of certification on sustainability. What can company do to avoid greenwashing, for example, or at least to avoid any doubt about them con- conducting any greenwashing activity is to be transparent with the with, with the consumers and certifying it, for example, and it's just one of the many examples, but the ISO standards offers many ways of having a third-party verifier coming to your company verifying it that you actually year after year you're following a continuous improvement process and that at least shows that you're committed to to the change and then it's all about competition of course once the sustainability variable will become the main driver in the market it's the zen gen driving it as chandru said rightfully things are going to change but i think that we should adopt you know compulsory measures as we adopted it with uh, on the energy side for companies uh, for governments with the Kyoto protocol we should adopt a worldwide protocol in order to compel this company to oblige this company to to comply with the standards yeah you know sanya you make a very good point um the lca doesn't necessarily take into account end of life which is why what we're starting to see is this mandatory EPR moving in. And when you make it mandatory, what it does, it forces the brand owner to be accountable for that end of life. So I think what I liked about the French legislation was firstly that uh, it was one rule of calculation for everybody. So they were standardizing LCA methodology. And number two is equally the EU legislation of then making EPR mandatory. I think as that rolls out and it gets perfected over time, because always the first ones are a little bit rough around the edges, um, that's when we'll start to see real progress in all industries, not just fashion and textile. Yeah, this all sounds um, really promising. Um, My thought is really time. So, how long do you think it will take to clean up the fashion industry? I already asked that question before, but I'm, I'm posing that to Ascanio as well, based on this conversation, the way the conversation's going. Do we have time? Okay, thank you. <laughs> well, um, a difficult answer is like, it's a very, um, uh, but if I, if I would say, um, 
I know that it is possible to make changes within a company. Uh, the whole supply chain and value chain can be changed very, very quickly. And I'm talking, you know, entrepreneurial time. So quickly means uh, an interval from two to five years uh, path for a company to actually start seeing tangible results on their uh, on their production line, on the way that they are with marketing and communication, on the adoption of certifications, on management system and so on. If I had to apply that to the complexity of the, of the, the whole market and the complexity of the supply chain of fashion particularly, which is a worldwide distributed supply chain that follows completely different standards so much that we actually buy toxic products from, from China and we resell them in Europe where they were banned 30 years ago, and we see their level on sea and level on sea and sea, sorry, um, rivers and seas rising because we're just washing clothes full of toxics that we banned tens of years ago. So it, it's kind of very difficult to, to, to bring that change across the whole supply chain all over the world unless we start implementing again international standards that must be. Uh, must be adopted. For example, even human rights, there have been so many attempts to convince uh, companies and government to oblige companies that, that start outsourcing in yeah. countries like China, like Romania, where human rights are not yeah. respected, to actually do it only if you treat your own employees. It doesn't mean to change the whole planet. It's just starting to do it in, within your company. So have the decency of doing it worldwide and not just in the countries where they oblige you to do it. And that should be applied for yeah. Oh, you muted. Yeah, no, Stanio, I really love that you brought the human rights topic on to this conversation because I did have, I do have a final question, but I thought it was off topic, but you have brought that in. So I'm going to ask the question now. Um, but um, Chandri, do you want to add on off the back of the last question before I bring the next topic in? Sure. Very quickly. Uh, the reality is we don't have time. Uh, what it means is we're I think this report, IPCC report, have pretty much laid out we're going to miss that one and a half degrees target by 2030. Uh, it's all hands on deck to try and limit it to two. Sadly, uh, behavior is such that we'll probably miss that as well. Uh, the legacy of that will be uh, what I alluded to in the beginning. Um, so we don't have time, but if anything, it might just fast track the uh, adoption of legislation. Uh, there's even now stuff like carbon border adjustment mechanisms looked at for Europe. America's looking at it as well, um, that they want to make sure that products that enter their jurisdictions have a low carbon footprint. Maybe it takes something like the reality of what we're facing to give that a uh, little more oomph and impetus. Yeah. Really, really appreciate you, Ascanio and Chandru, for coming onto the podcast and sharing these thoughts. I think they're really important. And as we get the, get the conversation out there, more people will hear these ideas. And then, obviously, people that are passionate about sustainability and that can make a change and can help move this conversation forward, um, hopefully will be inspired to, to knock heads and try and solve these problems um yeah so my final question and we've got a few minutes for this and um, we've, we've got about um 15 minutes or so to discuss this but um Ascanio mentioned human rights and 
I just wanted to bring that in because sustainability is not just environment. Obviously, our environment is top of mind at the moment because of everything that's going on. But then there, there is the ethical side of fashion that is quite grim as well um, when it comes to sustainability claims and ethical lines that people put out there. So are ethical issues easy to identify and resolve, such as modern slavery and child labour? Like, it would be interesting to get your thoughts on that in, in line with being sustainable and the supply chain transparency. And we've got um, Priyanshu that wants to come up. Um, I'll bring you up in a second. I'll, I'll let Chandru and, and Ascanio um, ponder on that for a moment. So my, my thought is really how transparent is transparency when we're looking at things of um, when it comes to um, human rights and ethical issues in the fashion industry? Are people prepared to get that transparent? And how will that affect sustainability in the future of fashion? Having having these issues resolved and are they easy to resolve? I don't think they are, but it would be just interesting to get your perspectives on that. Uh, very quickly, because uh, I'm not the guest here, is Chandru. And uh, yes, Chandru, you're right, 1.5 and 2 degrees are missed completely, and I do agree with it. The problem is that uh, we it's it shouldn't be a reason to say, okay, well, you know, we, we, we gave it a try, let's, <laughs> let's just behave business as usual. So I, I do agree with you that the things must be must be done with priorities. And fashion is one of the priorities for, for sure. Um, coming to, to, to human rights, well, it's kind of difficult. It's more or less a titanic challenge as much as it's sustainability. And it comes along with it because nowadays there are many uh, certification are adopting standards that conjugate uh, ethical uh, uh, ethics and sustainability, and the market shows that there are things that are you know there are variables that are taken into consideration with a grow growing concern among generations. So millennials and that gen are, are following it, are expecting it actually from companies more than just looking for it, as much as my generation X gen and, and the boomers have done. Uh, solutions, timing, uh, I've got no clue. I'm not dealing with it directly professionally. I follow follow it because, of course, it's one of my concerns. But um, it, it, again, it all comes to, 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 to publishing the whole value chain and supply chain onto a documentation that is accessible online in a transparent way. So every consumer can just scan a QR, scan a QR, QR code and find out where it's coming from, who has worked in it, how much has it been paid, and so on. Of course, you can't disclose everything because sometimes it discloses revenue models as well, but at least the respect of some standards that are given for granted in a majority of the Western world should be adopted worldwide as it come, when it comes to human rights. So we shouldn't, uh, of course, homologate cultures, but uh, uh, there are basic human rights that cannot be denied all around the world, regardless the, the situation, the cultural situation or political. Yeah, I do have a question about technology, how technology can um, impact that. And we've got Leroy up on stage that's just come up that might be able to add some, shed some light on that, but might be an expert in that field. But um, Chandri, what are your thoughts on, on this? I know it's a bit off tangent, but it is relevant to sustainability. And if we can't resolve the ethical side of things and um, we're not we're not being fully sustainable, um, if we only focus on the environmental side of things. 
So uh, it's very relevant. It's not unique to uh, the lesser developed parts of the world in the fashion industry. Uh, there's abuse of workers' rights in developed parts as well. Um, it's not only fashion. It's pretty much everything. Uh, the sad reality is we probably all have blood on our hands, though. You know, who doesn't like a buy one, get one free promotion? Uh, what I'm hopeful about, and I fully subscribe to what Asanio said, is not only does legislation need to change, uh, but technology needs to move in to give us traceability and accountability. Because to leave things to the metrics that currently exist have obviously shown themselves to be fallible, and then you never close out the abuse. So uh, on that note, I'm happy to hand over on the technology side, and I'm sure we'll hear how blockchain is going to save us all. Greetings, my friend. Hi, Leroy. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, yeah. Thank you for the introduction on the technology side. I thought that was pretty good. Um, in regards to my um, feelings on, on the future of fashion, how that can impact is, yes, through technology, through I think um, in the regards to the centralised and decentralised, I think both are needed in regards to one security and obviously and and everything else. But I think the ledger system, okay, where everything has to be recorded, everything needs to be put down, then you know exactly. For on the clothing side, you know where it where it was manufactured, who many you know uh, where the cloth came from, the, the, the compositions, everything has to be laid in within the ledger system, and that's something that we're working on at this present moment in time in regards to the fashion industry, because I believe that is the kind of way to ensure where you know those. Sorry, you're cutting out a little bit, Levi. Am I sorry? Yeah, if you can do that again. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, in, in regards to um, the ledger system, okay, that allows you to, um, well, you have to um, note everything down that, that, you know, within the fabric uh, composition. I mean, you have to, you know, when you buy through um, the ledger system, through the cryptocurrency, you know, everything has to be locked down so you know exactly where the fabric came from the composition who manufactured who designed everything's put down everything's there so therefore that will put those that are dealing with the the well being guilty of fashion waste will have to look at this very seriously because as we do go digital currency then all this will have to come into play therefore all those that are guilty of fashion waste will not be able to get away with it anymore. And that's Leroy Smith. I'm done speaking. Thank Thanks, Leroy. I always love um, talking about techno technology and innovation, how it can impact. Sometimes you can look at this situation as being very grim, obviously, climate crisis and all that that is going to come with that. The fact that we're really pushing closer and closer, if not reach the tipping point or stepped over that now. The future is looking grim with a growing population. And I'm always encouraged by technology. So thank you, um, Leroy, for that um, glimmer of hope. Um, in terms of price, I just wanted to just touch on, we've got a, a few more minutes to get some some ideas around this. So in, in terms of price of garments and the future of fashion, if we do eliminate 
slavery, modern slavery and child labour. And we do um, start using like different types of materials um, that are not fossil fuel based and stuff like that. What is the future of fashioning in terms of like, can we clothe the growing population at an affordable price? Or is are we just in a habit of cheap stuff? that we have like a really bad mindset towards fashion. Do you understand my question? Is it actually possible for people to have affordable clothing that they can um that can they can take care of and prolong the life of and um, and still enjoy fashion? Or is it a, a whole remodeling, rethinking about our relationship with fashion that we need to have to eliminate some of these problems that are taking place? So I think the key word there is affordable. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, the key word's affordable. Um, the reality is a lot of synthetics uh, and plastics in general became what they've become uh, because of the scale of population growth. And by 2030, I think we're 8 billion people on this planet. The notion that they can all be clothed uh, with organics uh, comes with its own environmental challenges uh, at the end of the day. So I think we just got to be careful about the word cheap and the word affordable because obviously it has very different meanings in in different parts of the world. That's true. So in terms of, okay, in terms of fashion, I'm seeing that we need to really reevaluate our relationship with our clothing and circular fashion is the answer the solution adopting that circular mindset reusing repairing extending the, the life the life um life span of the garments that you have and then when it comes to production producing high quality garments that people will pay the right amount for so to ensure that workers are getting paid correctly and people take care of those durable products that are supposed to be swapped and handed down to other people that's the that's the idea that i'm kind of seeing will work for the future of fashion um it's a mindset shift what are your thoughts yeah look it's also i mean circularity comes at a cost you know like i highlight the biggest challenge uh, garments have today is design you know there's no real widespread concept of how do you design a garment for end of life, irregardless of what it's made from. So the reality is it's going to need a lot of investment, uh, a lot of R&D, and who's got the money? It's the fast fashion houses. And that's why then you start seeing government step in to say, fine, you seem to be the bulk of the supplier to our marketplace. We're holding you responsible. Spend those profits and get us to a point where your garments are truly circular. If we wait on the rest of the industry to do it, uh, then the reality is nothing changes. And then in terms of you know the social injustices, uh, you really capture that in terms of how you give access to your marketplaces. And that's where I see technology and blockchain giving us that traceability that suppliers who can't uh, provide that uh, are prevented by legislation from getting access to market. And then suddenly you'll see change happen very quickly. Yeah, I like that picture that you paint, Andrew. Very encouraging. Escanio, Leo, we're coming to the end of this um, podcast. It's let's work it out for the planet. 
and um, we're going to be here once a month with Chandru discussing a different topic. As I mentioned, this this conversation was really inspired by an article in Fortune.com that was about the new newest challenges for sustainable apparel industry and I thought it would be a really interesting conversation I've got a lot out of this conversation definitely and I, I do actually feel optimistic um that we can make these changes that need to take place and we've had a bit of a shake up a wake up call to this um but I think it was necessary and I think um people are start going to start really galvanizing towards this um cause and trying to make it impact both on the ethical issues and the environmental issues do you guys have any final words to share and then i'm going to hand it over to chandru to close the session with some positive positive input positive um thoughts that we can walk away with yeah i'm going to keep on the positive side um i think technology is the way forward and I think in regards to making this situation aware globally, I think that's going to be done with the collaborative element to um, make this happen. And I think, you know, using, I'm going to mention the word metaverse, um, that's kind of like the, the big thing right now. And I think you have control within that space to to invite those that are, on the same thinking basis as you in regards to sustainability that can then create a community that will then club together to 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 lobby okay so i think once the word gets out in regards to what an organization is doing within the metaverse i think you know because of the metaverse because of the hype around it i think it will create a buzz i think it's how you market something i know marketing is kind of like a dirty word right now but i think marketing uh this specific thing is 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 key and i think at the end of the day um you know with the usage of technology today with the with the ledger system being put in place i mean there's lots to talk about there's lots of positive things to say so in regards to that i think you know adding on you know digital clothing uh, how that can be used in regards to, you know, using it for sampling instead of actually making up the samples. I mean, you can use it as a collection, then you can do the one-offs. I mean, there's many uses that can, that can be brought to reduce that fashion waste. So no one really has an excuse. You know, as of today, because of the situation that's happening globally, no one has a, any excuse not to do something about the sustainability and ethical best practice particularly. Okay, so therefore, I think that um, the future is bright. That's what I'm trying to say to you. I think, you know, collectively, I think the future is bright. And that's Leroy Smith not done speaking. Thank you. Thank you, Leroy. Yeah, I definitely think we have a window of opportunity. Um, Ascanio, what are your thoughts? And then over to to Chandru. Well, uh, when you talk about technology and fashion, don't forget the uh, industry 4.0, which is going to bring lots of automation in order to deliver um, affordable garments. So uh, I wouldn't actually point to affordable clothing uh, in the sense that I would see the clothing as an investment as you do it with every other product, analyzing how long will it last 
So we should actually change the paradigm of fast fashion and bring it back to slow fashion more than just slowing down their production because otherwise you're going to lose the battle against the big uh, the big firms. Uh, and regarding human rights, just make it affordable. Make it very expensive or impossible, as uh, the example that Chandra shown, showed before, uh, make it impossible for companies to sell a product that doesn't uh, comply with, uh, with standards for human rights and sustainability. So that's it. Thank you. So over to Chandra. Um, this is the Sustainable Fashion Podcast. Our new show, Let's Work It Out for the Planet. Today, we've been working it out. And Leroy and Ascanio has joined us to share some amazing insights. Chandru, your final thoughts um, to wrap up the podcast today. And yeah, it's been it's been a challenging conversation, but I feel like it's been an optimistic conversation as well. So, yeah, what, what is your summary thoughts? Let's work it out. Have we worked something out today? The end is nigh, Bukuna. <laughs> <laughs> We're doomed. I mean, it feels, it's all over. It feels doom and gloom. It feels doom and gloom. But I, I just so feel like, about... and I would say, I would say something about. I think Ascanio mentioned this in a previous room that we did today. Um, there's not one solution, and I think I've mentioned this to to a couple of people that I've had a conversation with as well. I think I was speaking to Samuel about the metaverse the other day, and yeah, that's a that's a. A, a whole different topic that we can talk about but basically the digital world digital fashion and how that could have an impact is is a really interesting concept but there's not one solution I think it's all the solutions how can we reimagine the world and and implement all these different things so I don't think the conversation is really that we're having is what is the solution to climate crisis or um the the ethical issues that we have in fashion it's like how can we come together with a lot of different solutions and solve the problem so yeah it feels like doom and gloom but there's a lot of options out there Chandru what do you think well that doom and gloom is galvanizing more and more people every day because what we're seeing now is a coming together of scientists who maybe in the past didn't work together uh, are mapping out solutions for us all of a sudden people are listening People hopefully will galvanize to action, uh, force policy change at government level. But, you know, we talked about greenwashing earlier. Greenwashing is prominent because it lands well with us. You know, a consumption choice is a very emotional choice. And sometimes we want to be sold that it's fine, that it's great, even though we know that it might be greenwashing. The only way you change it is you make people responsible for their products. It's just like, if you invited me for dinner to your house and I came with a bottle of wine, no problem. But imagine I landed up at your front door with my one week's garbage from my house. You might close your door and say, listen, don't come back. So I've never yeah. understood why governments didn't do the same with their jurisdictions. And that's what we're now seeing. They're waking up. They're realizing it's systemic challenges. And the only way you change it is you come out with policies. So mandatory EPR, uh, eco-labeling, uh, forcing uh, people to measure their carbon footprint and then denying them access to market. I mean, I've been in this game 20 years. I haven't seen this level of change. And it's not just in the EU. Uh, America, just uh, two of their states, just passed EPR laws. The Congress is looking at far more um, telling recycling laws. 
So the positive is all of a sudden we're seeing action. But yeah. if we as citizens don't get active and keep pushing it, um, the reality is that climate change is going to hurt us a lot more. Thank you. Thank you, Chandru. Thank you, Leroy and Escanio and everyone that's stayed in the audience. I see we've got a few new people here, Kim, and um, a couple of people. Shazio is in and out. Um, Leanne, Samuel, Kanima, thank you so much for being here. And this is a sustainable fashion podcast. So the show, Let's Work It Out for the Planet with Chandru is going to be back next month. We're here every Tuesday, second Tuesday of the month. So we're mixing it up between our other podcast shows. So we've got Raising Your Consciousness and then we've got Let's Work It Out for the Planet. And we, we're doing some interviews as well with guest speakers and stuff. So definitely great to have you guys. Um, some of you guys are in our Clubhouse um, club, Fashion Reimagined. So definitely join us again on Green Room. This is where we can have discussions that can be shared with the wider audience and um get the message out a bit further so definitely come and join these conversations come up on stage and share your thoughts because i know you guys all have amazing things to say and amazing contributions so 